My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. So I am talking today on the permaculture series with Steve. Steve, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us where you come from? Yeah, hello. Um, I'm Stephen Gollan Bosky-Byrne, and I'm from County Down. I'm originally from England, been in Northern Ireland for 20 years now. And so you're in Lacken Cottage? Yes, Lacken Cottage Farm. Uh, we're just below the Mourn Mountains, quite near the sea. Before we go and you learn a bit more about Lacken, could you begin with things that led you in that direction? Uh, a decade ago, living a very kind of conventional lifestyle, had a professional job and getting up early in the morning, driving an hour to work, working all day, coming home in the dark, earning a reasonable wage, but having no money. I did the, the thing that a lot of people do is that they, they progress their career and they earn more and more money, but they don't have any more money at the end of the day. I had a mortgage and debts. I just, I, like a lot of people, I had that feeling. There must, there must be something better than this. This cannot be it forever. And this is not quite what I had in mind, you know, originally. And um, just by chance, I came across a guy called Simon Dale, who had uh, the Hobbit House, and he was kind of in the news at the time. You know, a man built house for three thousand pounds, and him and his wife Jasmine had built this little sort of timber frame place in the friend's woods and i you know i've always liked building and i've always liked making you know everyone i built dens as a kid and i was just like you know i love making stuff um i thought i could you know i could do this you know so there was a lot of leaping up and down and i was i had that kind of moment of revelation where look we can go and live it and so that was the beginning of it and then I, it just drew me into looking other things. I found um, a girl called Rima Staines, who is an artist uh, living in a converted horse box. And that was literally the first time I'd come across someone living in a converted truck. I thought, oh, because I have my background is in horses and I, I had a horse truck. I was like, I could do this. It had got things started. And then I realized that Jasmine Dale was a permaculture teacher. And that was my first, first time I'd heard of permaculture. And then, as with a lot of these things, once you go looking, fate kind of brings more things to you. And so I was trying all sorts of different stuff. And so I advertised on FreeCycle for gas bottles. And these two ladies bought me some gas bottles. As it turns out, as a kind of, it was their ulterior motive, um, because they were starting a community project in Bangor in Northern Ireland. And they had thought, well, if he wants gas bottles to make uh, wood burners, he must be handy. We want someone handy to help us with our project. I met Joan and Tina, and they were starting this uh, community project, which was, was based around social prescribing. So it's the idea of having people come and spend time outdoors and 
things, maybe food, as an alternative to treatment for depression and antidepressants, which wasn't kind of policy in Northern Ireland at the time. But uh, John's brother uh, had had a diagnosis of schizophrenia for all his life and was very isolated. And he wanted to bring people to their family farm, essentially, to rather than have Pete go out. So we got involved with that. And then I encountered permaculture again there because someone, a guy called Philip Allen from the North, who's one of the sort of you know, founding fathers of permaculture in, in Ireland, Philip came and did a one-day intro course. And that was the first time I had, I had really met permaculture. You know, what about us? It was clicking there. It was part, just part of that whole, that whole idea that we can, you know, we, we can do more for ourselves. We can create systems that, without having to bring lots of stuff in. You know, I like doing things myself. And initially, I didn't. The initial urge was to sort of dash in, like, right, we're going to make and we're going to you know, we're gonna do this stuff. And I was just like piling without actually standing back and looking at it. And I hadn't quite understood that idea of observing. And, and taking a step back and I was just like you know people discover things for the first time they just want to do everything and I was at that kind of we have to do everything all at once now stage um so we had a, but we had a, I had a year really of just spending time on the farm we were able to I was able to get it out of my system we built compost toilets and we had a roundhouse and we built festival beds and we put polytunnels up and you know we did rainwater harvesting and we, we tried out all the stuff but i was able to do it it didn't matter if it wasn't done particularly well or if it didn't really integrate that well because everyone else was in the same boat and we were just this group of people trying stuff out which was really good at some point in that year i came to a point where i had to decide do i carry on with my life as it is or do i I stopped and essentially I, I got up one Saturday morning, I gave the keys back and I walked out of my life and went and lived on um, someone's attic floor. And it had come to that, you know, it was like I had, I knew I had to go one way. It wasn't going to be any half measures. So yeah, I literally just woke up one day thinking, what have I done? I'm sleeping on someone's <laughs> attic. On someone's attic. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was all very exciting. Um, but I was like, what do I do now? You know, I, I knew what direction I was going in, so I thought, well, I'll try volunteering, go and see some stuff. And I went to look at projects to see what I might. I actually went to Wales. There wasn't much in Northern Ireland at that point, so I went to Wales. There was loads of stuff happening, lots of natural building projects. And I went to Lamas Eco Village, and I helped on their community, helped build their community hub. I met more people. I, kept, I was like, oh, I've suddenly found my tribe as this bunch of people who are all doing this, you know, mad stuff. It's great. And I met Claire. My, who I'm now married to on the project in, in Bangor, we decided that we wanted to do the same thing. Again, we went off together, you know, volunteering, moved into a truck, had this horse box. You finally um, got into your truck. Finally got into the truck, yes. So we decided, yeah, we'd live in the truck and we would, again, we could try stuff out. You know, can we live off-grid? We went to the sort of extreme of we'll make our own power and we'll harvest rainwater off the nearby barn and we have compost toilets and we'll grow all our own food. We lived, you know, we had a very free life, really, very little outgoings, and we had what we needed there. And it gave us time to look around and say, well, okay, we want to do this, but where are we going to do it? And we looked at Clock Jordan Eco Village. We went around Ireland looking up plots of land, and we realised that you know, if you go west, you can get quite, quite a lot of land for very little money, and we didn't have a lot of money. And we went back to Wales again, because, again, there was um, intentional communities being formed in Wales. We spent a lot of time toing and throwing with a group of people trying to create an eco-village group with Lamas, actually. It didn't come off. We had a good core group, and then someone found a piece of land that suited them, and they bought it. And at that point, everyone sort of scattered and bought land separately 
but nearby. And we were part of that. And I was, I had gone to Wales, standing in Cardiff Airport on my way to go and shake hands with someone on a piece of land. And literally my phone rang and Claire said, I found somewhere, it's up the road, don't shake the hand. So I went and made excuses and went home. And Claire had spotted the land at Lacken Cottage Farm, which for all sorts of reasons had been on the market for a long time and had been hard to sell. And because we weren't as worried about whether it had, a, you know, things like it you know, didn't have a, a certificate for its septic tank, we were like, why well, we don't get, we don't need a septic tank, that's fine. Um, or the rights to the water pipe or whatever it was, you yeah. know, we were like, well, none of that bothers us particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no intention. And so what of... kind of condition was the property in and how big is it? And so this it's is like a, it's a six, six acre, six and a bit acre plot. Um, it's got a typical three room, you know, three room cottage that you find all over the country. Um, stone built, tin roof, had thatch under it, same as, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of them all over the country. We hadn't really intended to, to do a renovation. We kind of thought we would build something small and probably straw barely uh, ourselves, but it was there and it would give us a base. And the land was just little fields, too little to be of any real interest to the local farming community, kind of too big for what a lot of people wanted as a garden. Being sort of, uh, just had lots of cattle put on it. Whenever they could get, it was dry enough to put cattle on. Had all been bog. Some of it had been um, improved, for want of a better word. So it had soil added to it. Not the rushiest land in the world, but not great, not great land. Marginal land. And it, and it came with some woodland, which, again, no one really mentioned at the time. It was just considered to be this inconvenience. No one could be bothered to, to rip out and turn into, into grazing, really. So that was a, a nice surprise. It's all cut over bog. All been peat cuttings. And the birch is just a pioneer on that. And so it's it's almost entirely birch. And one day it will we've got a few tiny oak trees growing around the margins that have appeared. So it's it's thinking about succession. How long have you been on Lacken Farm? We're in our seventh summer now. When we moved, we, we got the keys in May. We towed our truck down and we parked the truck outside the front door, which is handy. So we had a base to work out of. And um our daughter was due to be born in September, so that was our deadline. Midwives would come out. And they look at us in the truck and they'd be like, you're not going to live in the truck. I'd no, we're going to live in this house just here. And they, were, they would look in the door, you know, like a bomb site, and suck through their teeth and go away again, horrified. You know? But we, we, we did it. We literally, you know, we could get up at six in the morning and just work until midnight. My father-in-law helped. We didn't finish it, but we made it, you know, it was habitable and dry and we had hot water and we had some we had the lights on and stuff before we got in and enthusiasm kind of carried us through you know it was, it was great to get up in the morning every day more or less you would think it's a bit further you know a bit further and you could see the progress so we, we got in lyra was born in september the 15th i think i told claire I, about six days later our first woofer arrived you mean you, you so you don't think you told your partner you were going to have no, a woofer i know uh-huh. uh, and i know what everyone wants when they've just given birth is to have a stranger come and stay in the house with them so <laughs> we were very lucky uh that our first woof patina our very first woofer was um she was only 17 and she'd hitchhiked from austria to our front door she was yeah she's a six foot dreadlocked bagpipe playing austrian girl it was amazing and it was like part of the family. We kind of adopted her. You know, she was she was young enough to be our child. Basically, we were very lucky. It could have gone either way. We talk about Bettina in, in good in good ways. Tina and I demolished an outbuilding. We all borrowed. There was no. It was just a house at that point. We built paths using all the hardcore. We moved like twenty ton of hardcore. Poor wee girl. You know, it wasn't so wee by the time she left. We dug a pond. We put a pile up, and she was only there a month. So we we went we we went at a frantic pace. 
but it got us out of the wet. Yeah, we had some paths and then we had almost immediately a couple of French kids who came in and helped us in the snow, planting trees and stuff. Um, it was our first winter was, was quite hard. We had no dry wood. Our house was still a bit drafty. Um, we had, it faces south. And when we moved in, it had tiny windows on the south side. And I was like, well, people never didn't know what they were doing back in 1840, putting these tiny windows in a house. Um, and then we realized that actually all the prevailing weather comes from that direction. So it would occasionally rain inside our bathroom as it would come through the walls and through the windows. So because we'd taken down the building in front of that. So yeah, they did know what they were doing. So it was quite, it was quite tough. We lived in basically in one room with our volunteers and our baby. And we're cooking on wood, wet wood and birch. We just cut. It's just not a great idea for anyone who's ever tried. I mean, who's ever tried burning wood? And it got easier from then on. Every year has got a little bit easier because we knew that once we got into the, just from talking to other people, once we, if we could get the house consolidated and we had somewhere warm and dry, then all the garden and the food would be easier. But we grew a lot of food the first year. We should have observed the site for a, for a full year, but we just wanted to get something growing. And, and to some extent, we've paid the price for that over the years because, you know, we've, we have moved things around. We've, we've done our observation while we've lived there. Even now, we're still making changes to kind of compensate for the fact that we were quick out of the blocks. And I'm very impatient. We do have a plan now that's a kind of properly thought out permaculture design for the place and the bits of it that have to be realigned have kind of been brought around more slowly. Yeah. So it's, it's got there. So that first sort of establishment phase and that vision was for you and your small family and the volunteers coming. And you had originally this idea of living in community in Wales and you'd worked on this community project in Bangor. Yeah, I think once we got over the initial having somewhere to live and we realised a lot of quite local interests we put we put ourselves out there when we moved in. Right idea of again, as I worked in the newspaper, and the editor of the local newspaper was had worked as a journalist for me on the newspaper, and so I I got Joanne to to basically run a story, a half page story in the local paper, saying we've just bought this cottage, we're new to the area, do you know anything about it? Which is really nice because people literally people turned up for for weeks, people turned up on our doorstep because Polly and Sammy had been had died in the house in their 80s and had been born in that house. And their parents had been born in that house and died in that, yeah. So they knew everyone and everyone had known them and it was known as Anderson's house you know, for years after we moved in. Um, so everyone had a story. And it was brilliant because A, we got to meet all the local people and B, we got to find out much more about the history of the house where thing you know where the well where was the well the well had disappeared years ago but someone came and said oh it's, it was over there it's probably just grown over stuff like that you know there was a spring here or get better potatoes in that patch of ground over there you know things like that that it would take us years to find out i doubt and they just and also they got to come and have a look as well because if you're moving into a rural community people want to know who you who are these strangers and everyone got it out of the system so after that they just Let's get on with it, which was good because something that we, we learned in Wales was that, you know, when, when incomers come in, if people don't know what they're up to, there, there's a tendency to assume that it might be no good or it won't fit in with the way things are done. And so we wanted to try and avoid that because we live in a quite a well-tended farming community with neat hedges and hardy lawns um, kind of mentality. And that we knew that we weren't going to do that. So there might be some position. Was there people who were like your Lamas friends, people you were finding them 
interested in these non-tidy hedgeways. Yeah, so we more by sort of chance than anything else. But I had a blog making a diary of what we were doing, and people were interested in that and wanted to come and do stuff and come and help. We had volunteers coming anyway, and then we we did some we did community tree planting with a scheme called, called Million Trees in One Day. They ran that the first year, so we did that, and we got people. Again, it's more local people. And we ran a couple of courses. We ran an intro, an introduction to permaculture course. Yeah, second year. Um, that was Hannibal. That was the first time Hannah came down. Mm-hmm. We, I literally just, I didn't know anyone particularly at that point. Yeah, we had nowhere to teach it. Taught it in a gazebo. Had no facility. It was really good, actually. You know, everything was makeshift. And we had plenty of people came and, and did it. And it was as, as as much for us actually as the people who were coming on the course. You know. Did that spark an idea about that sort of thing being part of Lacken? Yeah, I think that was that was the start of it, and we realized you know, there was a, an opportunity to to share what we were learning with people, and you know, and, and more and more people were wanting. It was obviously an interest at that point, and as you know, over the seven years, we've seen that interest grow. We got past the gazebo stage, and we, again, we realized that we would we would need a space of some some kind to do this sort of thing and we call it a classroom um which is a timber frame and straw bale building but we didn't have any money again so we crowdfunded the build of that which is great again because we got to meet a lot of people who all put a little bit of if anyone you know crowdfunding is we got a lot of people to give a little bit of money and then they would get some sort of you know rewards they're generally called or they would get something in return so i was making wooden bowls and spoons so we gave those to people who gave us money and a bit more money we had a we had a tp so people would come and stay in the tp we did places on we were running courses so people could come and do a course in return for and so they, they got something back out of it and also lots of them came and helped us build it which was great so we, you know we did lots of like earth plastering and, and creative stuff inside so we had lots of people come and actually help with the physical building friends who have a i think called freckle magazine in the north which is kind of interesting stuff and lots of creative things happening in the north but the Freckle team came and they did a wall and made a picture on the wall out of, you know, relief plaster and stuff. And it was great just to get everyone together. You know, really, it kind of made the community, our, our wider community come together. And so we run courses in that space. You're mentioning money there, the need for money in your lives. You know, in the truck, you live very simply. Then you had a little girl. Yeah. You know, <laughs> is that still, you know, is the courses um, what sustains your family or what? way have you managed so we, your rural livelihoods we we have a combination um for the first first couple of years uh, claire was still working as a garden designer um so for, for a while claire carried on doing that so we had a bit of steady money coming in and we ran the courses they weren't sustaining us but they gave us a bit of extra and then there was a a, a second cottage next to ours which wasn't sold to us as a cottage as such and at some point we realized oh, it actually had a number and it had been a house we again we talked to the family and one of them had raised his kids in it. We realized we could do that up and do holiday accommodation. So we do off-grid self-catering, basically, in the cottage. And that's become our kind of mainstay. And now we have the truck as well. So for for years, the truck was, was home for all our woofers and volunteers. We were there all the time. We had a kind of continuous contingent of people living on site. As time's gone on, we relied less on volunteer home labor. Again, there's been an upsurge in people interested in this lifestyle. And it gives them an opportunity to come and try it for a bit without having to commit to anything. It's an environment that people would recognise. So it's not, you know, there's nothing too strange about it. It's, it's like you know, a nice house, but a naturally built nice house. 
and off-grid, and then the truck, which has no mains power and a composting toilet outside instead of inside the building, and it's it's a little bit further out there. But people sometimes people come and try one, and they get a bit braver, and they try the other. They're like, you've got the TP. If you're <laughs> if you're really keen, you want to go for full full off-grid thing, you go and stay, spend a few nights in the city. You know, we've been collectively very involved in the permaculture network in Ireland and the permaculture gatherings and so on. But, you know, where we find ourselves now with more people looking at this, but also the context of our world, going back to the beginning again, had your views about sustainable living or what was happening globally, like when you were working? No, no really, I had no, I had no, I, I like, a, I think like a lot of people, I, I just, I was just focused on getting up in the morning, doing what I had to do and earn some money and come home. And, and I had no idea, but I, very quickly, you know, once you start looking, then I had that kind of, oh God. <laughs> yeah. I, I had the sense of urgency. It's like I started growing my own food. It was like, well, how much power are we using? Where's our water coming from? And just that sudden awareness of where's my food coming from? Where do you see yourself going with Lacken now? Or where do you see yourself in the, what niche are you occupying, do you think, at this point? I think there's just been an absolute explosion of consciousness. The whole idea of climate change has gone from being this kind of side issue to being something that people are widely recognising as being as being a problem. We've been on the school strikes with, with Lyra and we talked to her school about it. And it's it's gone from being, oh, there's the way people are doing that thing, to, ah, regular neighbors saying oh you know how are we going to do this i've got more people coming on the courses who maybe are living quite a conventional lifestyle they weren't already interested in going and building a natural house or, or whatever they're just asking lots and lots of questions and i think permaculture at the moment is kind of coming we're able to talk about it they're willing to listen now so you're going to keep going yeah i would definitely more more courses we're doing more specific things we're learning as we go along what people need and, and just yeah just just showing people what we do i think it's you know and then realizing that actually all this stuff is is possible they can make that change and, and it won't say it won't be the end of the world but it might be we can kind of transition from where we are now to to where we need to be life will go on really interesting to hear your journey willingness to share those kind of skills and knowledge thank you very much